0: Hey there, and welcome back to On Your Terms. I am beyond excited to share this episode with you today. If you've been listening to any of my episodes of On Your Terms, then you know that something I talk about a lot is really getting out of this little bubble that we're in, in the online coaching space, trying to bring in new ideas, fresh perspectives, like really thinking outside the box. I mean, there's a reason that I called this show on your terms, right? So I think that this has been like secret sauce for me and building this kind of business. I've seen it with other people and I had this dream to bring you an episode that was really, really different from a really unique perspective of somebody who's outside of our space that you can apply. I mean, first of all, I just think he's the most interesting guy and he is super successful and an incredible chef. But I also think there's a lot you can take from what he shares um, and apply to your own business. So I had this idea to have a little bit of like a chef series here on the podcast and interview a couple of my favorite chefs I didn't know if anybody would say yes, um, and I especially didn't know if Mike would say yes, but he did. And I am so grateful. Um, I am so excited for you get to listen to this interview. I had Mike on to talk to you about, you know, what success looks like for him, how he balances so many different roles being a business owner, um, how he took care of his employees um, during and after the pandemic. You know, how he deals with like negative comments and even how he balances that out with all the accolades and the success and not like letting that go to his head. And of course, we talked about like what do you cook at home and what are some of your favorite things and all that kind of stuff. We we really tried to hit it all in the time that we had. Um, I'm I'm so excited for you to listen to this. Okay, I don't want to hold this back from you any longer. Um, I am so excited to introduce to you Mike Solomonov. He is a beloved champion of Israel's extraordinarily diverse culinary landscape and the chef widely recognized for bringing Israeli cuisine to diners across the United States and around the world. He's the co-owner of Cook and Solo restaurants with hospitality entrepreneur Steve Cook, and together they own Philadelphia's Zahab, the trailblazing restaurant where Solomonov is a chef, as well as Federal Donuts, Dizengoff, Abe, Fisher, Goldie, Kafar, Merkaz, Laser Wolf, and Leela. Solomonov is co-author of three cookbooks and the recipient of five James Beard Awards. Yeah, you heard that right. Five, including 2016 Book of the Year for Zahav, A World of Israeli Cooking, 2017 Outstanding Chef, and 2019 Outstanding Restaurant for Zahav. Oh my goodness. Outside of the restaurants, you can often find Mike with Steve at Post 75 working out the Kinks in their Israeli village. I am so excited to bring this incredible interview. Thanks to Mike Solomonov for coming on and chatting with me. I hope you enjoy. Hey Mike, welcome to On Your Terms.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Sam. It's good to good to be here.
0: It is so good to have you. This is like a dream for me to do. So I, I'm just so excited to talk with you today. And I I just wanted to like ask you off the bat, you do so much. I watch like everything that you share, at least that you do. And I know you're still in the kitchen all the time because every time I'm at Sahab, you're there. And you're a business owner now of many different restaurants in different states now, too. How do you balance all these different roles that you have these days?
1: Well, I think that like I'm definitely in the kitchen less than I have ever been. That much said we've got like the most incredible staff, like Zahab specifically. I spend like the time I spend in restaurants, with the exception of like meetings, is is either Zahab or Laser Wolf Brooklyn. Like mm-hmm. Laser Wolf Philly. Andrew is at, it's kind of his baby, whatever. So I met Zahav... like three nights a week or four nights a week and I'm at in Brooklyn like one or two nights you know generally one night a week um and then i don't know i'm in a bunch of meetings or i don't know i don't even know what i do but i, <laughs> I do a lot i do a lot of that and i do a lot of travel we have you know corporate events or you know collabs and um you know sort of business development stuff which sounds boring and can can be pretty boring but mm-hmm. um so i don't know i mean i think that the easy answer is that we have like a really proficient hardworking team um and uh this i would say that like this version of zahav is probably the best one that we've ever had we continue to get better and better and I, i'm really proud of our team we've got an amazing uh chef de cuisine uh, named Bo uh, friedman and he's awesome he was a line cook at Zahav many years ago and uh, came back to Philly and is now uh, sort of running it and doing a great job. And we've got um, just an incredible management team uh, and support staff and all that. So it makes yeah. it much easier.
0: Yeah. Good team helps so much. And Zahav is the best restaurant ever I tell everybody this I have gone to all Apple, these Apple. like Michelin star the best this the best that and I'm like everywhere we go we're like Zahab is better Zahab is better everything it's just incredible and I know so many people write to me all the time and say they went and tried it because I talked about it and so I hope more and more people go after this thank if you, you so much if you could get in guys we gotta do it thank early. you
1: for the kind <laughs> words I, I appreciate it
0: oh always Um, so Zahab was actually the first restaurant that I went to after COVID because and I also have to like, personally, thank you because my, you know, my dad was sick, my dad had cancer. I was taking care of him. I was taking him to Penn every day. So I was around all these other cancer patients. And so I was like bubbling myself off, you know, to, to make sure I was keeping people as safe as possible. And I remember hearing that you had the yurts at Ad which is where I got to go. And then that you actually took really good care of your staff. Our waitress told us, I remember that night, um, like what you had done for your staff, not only during the pandemic, but then like helping them stay afloat and then helping them all to get vaccinated to be able to come back to work and even helping their family. So I'm just so grateful for like what you've done um, and setting, I think like just setting such a good example. But I was wondering how the pandemic changed you as a business owner and what you've learned from it.
1: Oh God, you know, I sort of feel like I I try to answer that question every day. Uh, The pandemic You know, it actually, it's interesting in a way it it sort of forced us to stop and rethink kind of everything. I would say that our business, our, our company, our team is, is probably better than it, than it was prior. Uh, It's very hard to stop in the middle of like a very busy restaurant or very busy service or very busy year and say, we're going to like start over again, or we want to, change our pay structure. We want to, you know, only open five days a week. That is not, those are not reasonable things that you say in the middle of like sort of busy chaos, right? Because you don't really have time to stop and because you're quite frankly scared. You can't just like pull the rug out from everybody. And also like if you would have told me five years ago that given the opportunity, like that we would close for two days a week, I would have said, no way. That's the most irresponsible thing to do. We're full. We're like totally full we can you know and uh honestly it's one of the best things that we've done and it gave us a chance to totally change the way that we um that the way people are paid and, and their wages and that's only benefited uh our team so it you know I it's and and actually even I mean, you've been to zahav before and after you know the the format in which we uh the way that people eat and dine at zahab I think is just is better than it ever has been so you know it's um uh, but along with that came you know months or years of thinking that everything that we'd work for was gonna go away uh being scared uh being demoralized too i mean there's psychologically to have to explain to people what it is that we do and hospitality and sort of interacting and and connecting with people to 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 have an entire industry not be able to do what they care about and what they love and what they're good at in addition to like income and sort of uncertainty and all that is really really hard for the psyche so i feel like in 10 years there'll probably be some some book that's written Mm -hmm. about what it is that we've all gone through and this is for every sector this is for every individual uh i will say that we are are probably a better group. Uh it is uh, you know it when we opened Zahav it was right before the recession and it was like immediately before my business partner Steve had to drive me to rehab. Uh, yeah, you had a lot drug going addiction. on. Mm-hmm. So I it's funny cuz that was I mean it's funny now you you know many years later but to say like wow 2008 was the worst possible year that we could have opened a restaurant and I'm like you know <laughs> 2020 <laughs> was like <clears throat> right definitely gave a limit for its money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, but I think that, uh, the industry in general seems to be bouncing back. I think mm-hmm. that, um, what the pandemic sort of exposed, I think was the vulnerability of a lot of Americans. And, and, and I, and I feel like that is something that you can't really put away right after you've sort of seen it. So yeah. I don't know. It's gonna take a couple of years, I think, or a couple of terms or a couple of generations to really sort of build back the trust between everybody, but hopefully we'll get there sooner than later.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot to process over the last couple of years. I feel I find myself saying that a lot of like I think that the last couple of years has shown us a lot in many different areas in life that I just can't put back in the I can't put back in the cage <laughs> like yeah. in a post 2016 world and then like post 2020 world. I'm like, I don't know. There's no going back. <laughs> yeah. Um so I was wondering too if you could share a little bit about like where you drew where you currently draw inspiration from for everything from like dishes to thinking up new concepts like laser wolf in brooklyn or something
1: um well so i feel like the yeah there's no definitive answer i know a lot of people have sort of formulas of the way Mm -hmm. that they work creatively i i don't you know i would say that my partner steve and i all we do is talk about food we talk about people we talk about experiences we find locations that seem more cool partners that you know so i don't it wasn't like one day i'm like you know we need to open laser wolf in philly or in brooklyn it was like a culmination of a couple things i mean laser wolf the concept Mm. was actually the catalyst for starting to cook israeli food in the u.s Mm. believe it or not it wasn't the restaurant that zahava's is not like what we initially had in mind um, and so, back in the day, uh, if you wanted to be recognized as a chef or as a cool restaurant, you know there was a level of refinement that sort of that was the way that everybody did everything, right? Every mm-hmm. like the French Laundry cookbook and Michel Bra or El Bulli are kind of the way that people. Sh- it's sort of the way that food was shaped or chefs were shaped in my generation,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? So. You uh, deconstructed and used methylcellulose and transglutinase and sous vide fucking everything and mm. clarified this and we all plated kind of the same way. And I mean, when I was the line cook at Strait Bass, it was right after French Laundry came out. And I would say that like most fancy restaurants in the U.S. had Bermonté to rest like meat or lobster or whatever or finished sauces. It was just the way that everybody sort of cooked, right? So uh steve hired me to be the chef of marigold kitchen as after i left vetri and i was cooking i would say refined american or european food and i was using israeli touches to, to i don't know why just because i think it's delicious and to make it my own mm. but i would never do something straight ahead as like a bowl of hummus or anything like that like they would that would, never would have happened but so we were doing all this stuff, and then I would go back home to visit my family, and would get off the airplane and go to like, um, you know, a shipudiya, which is uh, which is like what, laser wolf is like a kebabie house or whatever, and you'd sit down, and there'd be like twenty salads and waffa and hummus and grilled everything, and it was so fucking good, and mm. it explained the hit, you know, it was like anthropologically interesting as well, or culturally or gastronomically, it 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 spoke to. Migration, diaspora, conflict, commonality, all this stuff. And it was all veg it was like vegan and vegetable heavy. And then fresh bread and you know, like warm fresh lava or pita dipped in hummus is like as good as it gets. And then complemented with 20 different salads that um you know speak to like Jewish diaspora, indigenous Palestinian cooking and the sort of merging both of those things, and then also. Meat cooked over charcoal, mm. like the most elemental way. That was also like a big fuck you to like sous vide cooking as well. And so it was eating all the stuff and just and just sort of saying like, why aren't we doing this? Like this is what we want to be eating. Like this is what's good. And so, but at the time, you know, in two thousand eight, like I don't think we would have had the hoods but to just be like, we're going to do laser wolf, which is like essentially, you know, like you pick a meat, it's like a meat and meat in 20, right? It's like mm-hmm. you pick your meat and then whatever. And I don't think people would have gotten it. And we certainly didn't have the confidence or the wherewithal to like actually pull that off. So we opened Zahab, which was sort of, a, you know, maybe a bit more refined or maybe what people had in mind a little bit more
2: mm. about
1: uh, uh, what fine dining was. Or, or, I mean, we're not even really fine dining, but people, you know, people assume that we are, but we're like pretty casual. Uh, and then Steve and I found this space and we needed a commissary kitchen actually for Kvar and for goldie and decent right because we just you know doing laminated doughs for Mm. Kvar requires a ton of space we're way busier than we thought we'd be um goldie diesel i mean we have no idea how many fucking chickpeas we cook in a day and to have to do that in you know 10 locations across the city is totally inefficient so we were like we need a commissary um we found the spot looked good but from a retail standpoint it also looked great i mean it's like in in south kensington it's this beautiful building and we were just like why don't we just do you know there's a restaurant actually um, in jerusalem called morris that is like the most bare bones uh you know it was i mean they moved it actually and they, they got hit pretty hard during the pandemic but it was a butcher shop that at night they would just put plastic tables and chairs in the middle of market and just Mm -hmm. people would just come out and eat and they would grill meat. And then it turned into like a hundred plastic chairs sitting outside and it just turned into this big restaurant. And we just thought it was the coolest. It was just the coolest place ever. And so that was kind of the reason that we did laser wolf, but it started way back, way back before. So, um, and then with laser wolf, Brooklyn, you know, I had met with Kevin uh, Bame, uh who's one of the principals of Boca Group, he and Rob Katz kind of are like Steve and Mike of uh, Chicago, except mm-hmm. for they're, they're like very successful and <laughs> I uh, you, so they are you. <laughs> run 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 great restaurants, and uh, and they're just awesome, like awesome partners. And and they, uh, along with uh, um, one of their, uh, you know, the most sort of senior director, Gabe Garza, who's also incredible, approached us very casually right before the pandemic and said hey if you'd ever want to pair up and you know we have these like hotel things and it would be really cool to like do something together and i'm like yeah sure whatever like so many people said that to us before yes sounds great you know i just assumed that they're like way too cool for us and would never actually call me and then during the pandemic just as you know steve and i were like it was sort of like in the morning we're like Sad, depressed, walking around in our bathrobes around South Philly, just like Mm -hmm. sort of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Like (laughs) we're going to lose everything. Everything sucks. How do we do this? You know. And I, at that point, was like, if somebody came to me and said, "I will take all the restaurants off of your hands," I would have been like, "Sure, I don't want to do this." Yeah, totally, totally. And Steve, really, I don't know. I was like, let's just shut the doors and just see what happens, you know. And Mm -hmm. uh, Steve was like, we have to continue to be busy we have to like be active otherwise it's going to be impossible to ever restart you know and mm. so we started doing these like little dinners and we would do takeout one night a week and programming and then eventually outdoor but you know and and we built back sort of business but in the middle of the, not in the middle i mean sort of early on when things were like totally fucked up kevin calls and says hey like we're all super depressed. we're You know, there's all this inactivity and, and now we're entrepreneurs too, right? So yeah. you can't avoid, not just like we want to make food and serve people, but we like the idea of creating. And so Kevin called and said, Hey, we've got this deal with the Hoxton. We really think it'd be cool. Do you want to do a laser wolf there?
2: Mm-hmm. And we're
1: like, sure. What do we have to fucking lose? You know? And then things start opening up again. And and we end up building this, this incredible fucking restaurant in New York. And uh, we're going to be opening a quarr um, uh, in the it. ground in really? the ground floor there. Yeah,
0: Of yep. the Hoxton. That's uh, awesome.
1: Exactly, and it's going to be, um, you know, pastries in the morning and then lunch and then like uh, dinner uh, Ugh, can't uh, wait. there, and it's going to be amazing. And yeah, so so there's so it's been great, and you know, it was something that really came out of the blue. We never said let's go to Brooklyn and open our content with well, God knows we've had so many opportunities to open Zahav's, like mm. anywhere we want. Um, but uh, yeah. And so that's it. So the creative process was just really sort of fundamental Israeli dining mm. um, mixed with, uh, you know, and Andrew, I credit a lot of the sort of riffs on, especially the salad team to Andrew Henshaw mm. uh, who, you know, never, up until recently wasn't ever really in Israel, but like is, is just a whiz with, um, local produce that we get and sort of his take on it. Um, and then just the sort of bare bones, really cool idea that I think really translates to what people want. It's elemental eating and, and cooking. And I think people just love it.
0: Yeah, it's so good. And if you guys are in New York, you have to go check out Laser Wolf for sure. I'm so excited that Kafar is coming. I can't wait to get a Jerusalem bagel. Uh, (laughs) I'm already counting down those days, so keep me posted. Um, (laughs) I I wanted to ask you too, because you mentioned about you know, I'm sure you get pressure to open Sahab and other places. And I feel like whenever you do well, there's always this pressure. I mean, especially in America, I feel like with this like emphasis on capitalism and this like we always have to be doing more and more and more and growing more and bigger and faster and all that kind of stuff. So like I I heard you said one time that making money sounds great, but I like it when people come to Philly to have dinner, which made me so happy to hear you say. But like, how do you balance that pressure where I'm sure you do have a lot of people on your ass being like, you should put this somewhere else because it's doing so well here.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, pretty early on, I mean, we opened a Deezing Off in Chelsea market. Mm -hmm. that was very like, it was a a very expensive sort of lesson in expansion as well as opening a Deezing Off in Federal Donuts in Miami. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, you know, so I feel like, uh, you know, we've been pretty selective and conservative about how we grow, especially out of state and out of market. Um, We will be doing more things probably out of market. I mean, there's no question, but I just think that we've, you know, we have an infrastructure and we have a company with a strong culture and, you know, years of sort of building that I think has helped us out and finding the right partners too. I mean, we wouldn't, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be doing laser Wolf Brooklyn without, Boca group and without Hoxton and without the incredible team that we have there, there's just no question. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe that's the sort of template for how we grow out of state or out of market. I don't really know, but, um, yeah, like we could have opened a Zahab in Vegas 10 years ago. It probably would have done well. I Mm. don't really know. I think that we would have been miserable. And I feel like, uh, I still, You know, I still, I still relish. Like I still, when people come out of state to eat at Zahav or out of country or out of city and they come to Philly and they have a weekend here. And this is a big thing in the summer, actually. Mm. I don't know, like a lot of restaurants in Philly. I think uh, the zip codes or the area codes, uh, rather, of the people that are eating there are all New York or D.C. or even L.A. And you have people coming to Philly for like a weekend and they've got two or three meals and they want to go to the barns or whatever run up the rocky steps or do whatever or like see a show
0: eat a and steak.
1: we're eat a cheesesteak and we're and we're part of that you know and it makes me really happy and really really proud um because i do think philly is an incredible city and uh it we're underdogs you know and and i and it makes me proud to have people come from these you know first tier cities to our our humble our humble, um, fair city of Philly and, and eat.
0: Yeah, I love it. I think it's like so, so much part of our ethos. I remember when I ran into the guys from Queer Eye in the city and I was like, you guys have to go to Tahab. And they were all like, yeah, we have. Like, We've already been there like five <laughs> times. <laughs> it was so funny. I thought I was giving them a secret, but they knew. <laughs> I
2: appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you anyways.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tried. I tried, but they didn't need me. <laughs> um, I was, I was wondering if you would tell everybody about the first time you had a TV appearance, I hear that it involved a mandolin and didn't go so well.
1: Mm, <laughs> so it wasn't, my, it wasn't my first time. It mm. was, uh, we were doing live TV and it was for like Fox Morning or whatever in Philly, yeah. And I um was doing like a Passover thing or something. And as... Like, I like to be very, very busy. I like to use my hands a lot. When I'm, when I'm doing TV, that's, that gets everybody sort of busy and occupied. The worst thing that you want is like sterile chef on a, (laughs) on a morning show, especially when you have like, you start with three minutes, but then usually 10 seconds before you go on, they're like, all right, only two, you know? And so I was like, as the segment was opening, I was like mandolining celery and shaved off my fucking thumb, (laughs) like immediately. And I'm a righty and I was like, all right. And I like, so without anybody seeing, I just wrapped my hand with a towel and kind of went through everything. And then like, I think directed like Mike Jarek to make something while I was like, while blood was pouring out of my fucking thumb <laughs> and uh, it went great. I wish I could find it. It was so funny
0: they probably have in the archives
1: (laughs) i i want them to find it It really really fucking hurt but it was uh i was like i was like this is tv you know i mean i feel like tv is particularly live tv is so uh close or tv production in general is just like restaurants like it's just sort of chaotic and um you know so it's all like impulsive like every move is like I don't know.
2: It's hard yeah. to describe,
1: but it's got the same sort of energy. And and I feel like I thrive in chaotic restaurants and chaotic services. And I feel like it works well with TV
2: because <laughs> yeah.
1: everything is happening really fast and everything is changing. And mm. it's really about the way you react to sort of imperfect circumstances, you know, that, yeah. that decides whether you're good or bad.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I can't imagine trying to demo something in two to three minutes. That seems that seems like a recipe yeah. for a lost thumb. <laughs> I totally. think, yeah, for sure. Speaking of TV, have you watched The Bear?
1: Uh, you know, I have watched The Bear. Did um, you like it? So, we were into it. My wife was like, "You gotta, we gotta, like, we gotta watch it." And I was like, coming home from work and putting that on is the least fucking relaxing thing. <laughs> it I back. watched I. I watch horror movies a lot like I really like horror movies and I do in a way find them soothing um but I was like I can't this is like not good for me I can't do this before bed you know Does that mean that it's um, realistic? I think that it is yeah I mean it's still TV but definitely the mm-hmm. most realistic depiction of kitchens and restaurants on television by far there's nothing that's been really closer than that which I think is so funny because I feel like TV, I, people are obsessed with restaurants and chefs and all that. And I'm like, why wouldn't somebody just do a good job depicting restaurant life? But I mean, there's so much like, and so the bear is good and it hits on a lot of things, but things like immigration, mental health, addiction, mm-hmm. like all that stuff is just something that we've been dealing with forever. That's like all we, that's what, that's what restaurants are, you know, in a way. So. um it's it's i'm unclear as to why nobody's really done a great job of of depicting that you know i was watching a movie on the plane and it was a british film that was about a chef in a restaurant just kind of losing it and mm. he and i i think i fell asleep or like the plane landed i didn't get to finish it but that i got to find the name of it it was pretty good mm. and i was i think it was sort of a character sketch and it was somebody just melting down a little bit and the restaurant was maybe the backdrop, but it was like really well done.
0: Do you find that like, do other chefs come to you because they've, they've heard about your experience with addiction and, and maybe like they're struggling with it or have gone through it. Do you find like people are coming to you about that?
2: Yes. yes,
0: yeah. Because you're so open about it. I assume. Yeah. I am. Yeah. yeah. I am
1: open about it. And I think it's, um I think it's just, I think people run out of, you know, Run out of ideas, right? And they're, yeah. you know, it's sort of teetering. They're like in the bottom of the bathtub, you know, circling around rock bottom. And they, I don't know. It, the last thing that we want to do as humans is like ask other people for help. Yeah. Or admit vulnerability or weakness. And uh, when you're dealing with something like either addiction or alcoholism or what, whatever, I mean, any addiction uh, the idea that you could somehow overcome it and be stronger or like beat it is just fucking crazy, you know,
2: mm-hmm. uh, yeah. cause
1: you'll lose, you'll lose every single time. So I think that for me, uh, you know, and I belong to an anonymous, anonymous 12 step program. So it, it's a little bit like me being open is like almost breaking in anonymity for myself. Mm. It's a choice that I make, but I think it's of my program and it's something that's worked and I feel like it's something that I owe to uh the industry that I love uh so much and the people that are in it.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you've helped so many people. Like how, how did you get the courage at the time so like I, if anyone doesn't know about this part of my story like when you were opening Sahav that's when you were kind of hitting that part of rock bottom and that's also when you chose to ask for help too, right?
1: Uh I you're right exactly. So I was at the end Like I had been using crack from about five years Mm -hmm. pretty regularly. And then after Zahav opened, I started, uh, using a a ton of heroin. And then, you know, I I was keeping it a secret from Steve, my business partner and my, uh, my ex-wife, uh, and we were married at the time and, you know, it just was, uh, it was just at the end, like things just weren't working. I couldn't lie anymore. I can, the excuses weren't working. I felt like I just sort of wanted to die. Mm. And, uh, it was just sort of at the end of it. And then, um, uh, I was, I, they, Steve and, and, uh, my wife at the time, Mary, and another one of our chefs, uh, Aaron had an intervention mm-hmm. for me. And it's not that I went kicking and screaming. I was actually pretty relieved at the time, uh, But it was a very, the idea of like honesty was just so fucking foreign to Mm. me. It was such a hard thing to do. And it was also like, I was so humiliated and it was so, there's so much shame and um, all these things that would trigger me like using prior, like you could, like there was no way to deal with, with Mm. any of this stuff. So I went, um, I went to rehab And I was happy to go to rehab, but it is, you know, it's, it's humiliating and you have to sit and look at these people that trusted you, Mm uh, that had so much at stake with you, uh, that love you that you've just fucking disappointed over and over again. And they're the ones that you have to rely on or ask for help. It's really fucked up, you know?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so difficult. Uh, Mm
1: -hmm. Very difficult. So, uh, You know, it was obviously a really difficult year coming after that. I mean, we were dealing with opening this restaurant while it was fucking tanking Mm -hmm. as well. And I was, I took and I continued to take recovery very seriously. But at the time, it was like, you know, the first year is like a lot of action, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're simply, you're trying to, for me at least, you're trying to get from like one block to another without getting high or without calling a drug dealer, without stealing or whatever it is, you know? And it's just... You have all this muscle memory that you're trying to break, right? Um, And fucking everything's a trigger. I don't care. Like everything is just, um, you know, takes you back to that avenue, right? Which is so unhealthy and and damaging. So, um, you know, it was a ton of meetings, ton of 12-step meetings. I mean, almost every day for six months, Mm. outpatient rehab which was two hours a day, four days a week, um, personal therapy, exercise. Mm. And then, um, and then, and then also working running this restaurant that was like fucking tanking, you know, and bringing that back to to life. So it was really, uh, you know, it was really, it was not an easy first year, but I'm really grateful for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, and starting a restaurant, at any time is so difficult. So I can't imagine like kudos to you for going through all that. That is so hard. It wasn't a, it wasn't a GQ article that like broke the, the Zahav curse in the beginning.
1: I think it was a Philly mag article. It was like, cause we'd gotten, we had gotten a bunch of sort of national press. Yeah. um, And then combination of like restaurant week, which helps Mm -hmm. us actually format our, our menu, which nobody understood, it sort of made us, you know, fit it into a box, which actually really worked. And then it was Philly Mag giving us like number one restaurant. I think that like got everybody back in. Mm. um, Yeah, that was it. I mean, after that, it, you know, I mean, obviously ups and downs. And every single day, it's still, we take, you know, every, every day that we were open, we treat as like a new sort of start and we have to, exceed expectations for 250 strangers it's not um not an easy thing but we do it yeah we love it.
0: yeah exactly it's so much um i know like since then you you and the restaurants have won a crazy amount of awards and like you've won the biggest awards that you can win with what you do um and i've, I've heard you say before that like you try not to completely absorb all that and let your head get too big but how do you balance that when you know you're really freaking good at what you do
1: uh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we all, like I have imposter syndrome and I, um, just firmly believe that you either get better or get worse.
2: Mm.
1: And, uh, we're just driven by that. We want to exceed expectations. We're in our 14th or 15th year of being open. Um, and for restaurants, you know, that's a very, very long time. Yeah, And we want to continue to be our best versions of ourselves. Uh, So we put a lot of pressure, I think, on becoming better all the time. And I just feel like that's it. I don't, you know, I, I tend to not put a lot. It's not that I don't, I'm not very proud or very grateful or I acknowledge how important all these awards are. I think they're, for me, for our team, for Israel, for like my family, like all that stuff is, I take very seriously and I'm very proud of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also tend to not focus on like the positive things for too long. And I don't like, I think it when you start believing things that are written about you is it can be kind of damaging.
2: Yeah. Right? yeah.
1: So, um, the awards are wonderful. You know, tonight we open at 5 PM. If we fuck things up with one table, those awards don't really mean shit, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it all comes back to that. Yeah, that's really what matters at the end of the day. It's it's funny you said about like you can't take what people write about you too seriously. Like I feel like that goes both ways because I'm I'm assuming somewhere along the way you've gotten some hate too, right? Or somebody who's yeah been just like dissatisfied. I for one face a lot of like. Because my business is so like online focused, I get a lot of like mean comments, nasty, comments. I get a lot of anti-Semitic comments uh on my Facebook <laughs> ads. Yeah, that's super fun. Um, I get anti-Semitic I'm emails.
1: Only, I'm only laughing because it's like I It's insane. I if I had a quarter for anybody said some fucking crazy shit to me on Instagram or whatever, yeah. or it's like really almost hard to explain to people that haven't gone through it you know
0: yeah that's why I was gonna ask you like how do you I, I was I was hoping I'm not alone in this I'm not that I want you to get any hate but I'm like how do you navigate this how does that affect you
1: you know it is what it is I don't think I think that for the there is a very small percentage of people in the world that are or, or the, a very small percentage of the people that you know are dicks and that are mm. anti-semites or anti Zionist or whatever the fuck it is that they have a problem with me yeah um I'm not gonna let like a couple months you know affect my mood affect my mission any of those things you know but that I do also I'm you know I'm on Instagram that's like my only social media account I don't yeah like it's great I think it's fun I enjoy it I don't it's not like who I am like it's not my life you know yeah and Um, I, in general, I'm also so, I'm like such a tech hermit, you know, and I, so it doesn't, it's not in my face every single day.
0: That's healthy, Uh, um,
1: I feel. But I also feel like it's a fucked up sort of measure of success. It's like the more thing, you know, the more sort of successful you are, the more haters there are. And it's just, I hate to even drop into that, but it's like probably Sam, just like a sign of you being successful at what you do, you know, like sometimes makes people mad.
0: <laughs> yeah, apparently. And apparently I have a nose, which is something else I've learned from the oh, from comments God. where you're like, oh wow, until you told me that I had no idea. Like this is groundbreaking news.
1: Like, very yeah, uh, uh, totally I yeah. know I have a nose. I have a nose too. Yeah.
0: You know. That's I'm glad we're in that together. <laughs>
1: you have a beautiful nose.
0: Thank you, so, Meg. I think you do too. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Oh my God. People. But yeah, I'm glad I'm glad to hear you say that. I think it's helpful because I, I I just always think of it in the balance of like not letting all the like winning stuff make you too cocky. But then also like if I'm gonna do that, I can't let the bad stuff drag me down too much. Like I just try not to let this stuff bother me either way. Like I kind of try to keep it balanced.
1: I just think that oh God, there's some great poem that my friend gave me. And it was basically like Wow, you haven't pissed anybody off? Mm-hmm. Like what a fucking boring life you muff have. Like, and I'm not out there trying to like upset people or mm. obviously not divisive like that, you know. I just I have principles and I stand by them and it upset it pisses a lot of people off and that's fine. But like it's just things are just more open, you know. Mm. People can't it's much easier just to write something sort of crass or rude or hateful you know it it takes 10 seconds you can do it on instagram hit send that's right it's it's very different than before where you had to write a letter or Mm -hmm. you just let it manifest around your dinner table you know now Mm -hmm. you can expose yourself but it i I don't know it's in general it doesn't really affect my life
0: yeah i'm very glad to hear that um One of the reasons why I started the podcast and why I call it on your terms besides like the legal play is because I I, like I really want people to do things their own way. I really pride myself on on kind of like following a unique path. And my dad was such a big proponent of saying, be a leader, not a follower. You know, he was just like drilling that into me since I was a kid. And so I was curious what success looks like to you. Like, what's your definition of success?
1: I'm not really sh- sure. I mean, I just, I feel like we, along the, the, the journey, you know, I sort of hit a lot of checks. I don't, I don't know what that is. I mean, I think being able to take my kids, you know, to Israel for two weeks and rent cars and stay in like cool hotels and shit are things yeah. that, you know, I certainly, uh, I do very heartbreaking parents that gave me everything that we sort of needed. Um, but to be able to like, make it on vacation I know that sounds cheesy but like Mm-mm. that is a uh, a big one um uh, to be able to you know to be able like we I wanted to advocate and make a uh, name for Israeli cuisine sort mm-hmm. of first in the states and then also internationally and to be able to be recognized for that is is a big level of success I think um yeah. I had a a friend um, that actually served with uh, my brother in the IDF, and he messaged me privately and said, "Following um, my career and a lot of the things that we've done uh, has made him think differently about uh, Palestinians,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and and you know because his." Interaction was sort of from a military standpoint before. And so I think that is a really big, a big win
2: yeah, for what huge. it is.
1: I think humanizing people. Um, so I think that's a big one and watching people get clean and sober. I mean, me being able to, you know, I'll be able to, so I'll be hopefully uh, October 28th, be celebrating 14 years of sobriety. I mean, that's
0: Congratulations. obviously a
1: big success. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of indicators of success in my life and Mm. I don't take any of it for granted. So,
0: That's really cool. I love those. Um, Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I have a lot of like fun, fun fun-ish questions for you. So a lot of people wanted to know about what you cook in your free time. So people said, if you had a long day and you go home, which I think you always have a long day, but you go home and you make dinner, what do you make typically?
1: I would say like four out of five times it's like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or peanut butter and honey. I'm a big peanut butter and honey Mm. person. Um, uh, I am like, I would say I cook a lot of vegetables in my house and Mm -hmm. I'm trying to eat like a ton of legumes, Mm -hmm. um, which I know is boring and sort of what everybody expects, but like I, I will take like chicken broth and, Like chickpeas and harissa Mm -hmm. and like uh, frozen spinach and like sort of bring it to a boil with like olive oil.
0: That sounds amazing.
1: Maybe maybe like Parmesan cheese, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that kind of stuff, you know. So it's it's super. Or I'll make like a massive salad. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That's a big thing. Uh, My wife and I do. It's like two two forks, one bowl. You know, (laughs) just make a huge, huge sort of chunky salad and then just like park it on the couch with two forks and, you know, watch a horror movie that I'll force her to watch. (laughs) It's fucking terrible. She just Uh, goes for it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She sacrifices a lot, I think, to be with me. But, um, so that's what, that's what I do. Uh, What's what's in
0: the salad situation? I need to know about that.
1: Um, so in the salad situation, I would say generally are a ton of greens that I will Mm -hmm. mince um cucumbers tomatoes depending on the season sometimes a grated carrot honestly it's whatever shit i have like later in my house right um but uh i like to like mince everything and then i will sort of like salt it Mm -hmm. Um, especially kale like i'll I'll pre-salt the greens and i'll massage it a little bit uh just to kind of relax it like it's easier it breaks down better and then i got one of those um I got a fucking Nutribullet. We got as like a wedding registry thing, a Nutribullet, which I totally made fun of. And now I'm like, it's the best thing ever. Do you have one?
0: I have a Vitamix, but are you, I also have an immersion blender that like has the attachment, like one of those brawn ones. So it's essentially the same thing.
1: It is essentially. And like, I obviously have a Vitamix too. And I have a a fancy home Roboku, and I have an immersion blender. I'm telling you, the Nutribullet, I I fucking, I hope you get sponsorship for this because you should have the good people, have the good people of Nutribullet send you one of these, Sam, they are fucking amazing. Really? It sits on the counter. Yeah. I make smoothies every single day, especially Mm. with my kids and we'll like pump like flaxseed or whatever into these like veggie smoothies. But also you can make like vinaigrettes, like emulsified vinaigrettes, like with like Trina and shit so easily, so easily. So that's that's what I'll do. And then I don't know, probably some greet some cheese on top of the salad and that's it. But mm. I've always got like, I've got right now a big block of pecorino cheese. That's like almost over like it's super dry, but mm. I think that that just works. Like I almost under season the salad and then just load it up with like salty cheese.
0: Oh, it sounds so good. I, I'm obsessed with salad. I could eat it like multiple times a day, but I've been making this like peat what I've been calling a pizza salad, which is like the fl- like things you would put on a pizza in a big salad every day. And it just has an insane amount of oregano and I chop everything up like a ton and I use tons of briny mm-hmm. stuff and it's really, really good.
1: Um, do you, is it, um, is it uh, dry oregano or fresh
0: dry? I do do dry, but I do have fresh growing outside. So I probably should do that. Huh?
1: I don't know, actually. I feel like with things like salads, I mean, there's a, something to be said for fresh oregano or fresh latar mm. and fresh mint. However, the flavor is totally different. And dried mint in salads yes. Yeah. Is- Fucking unbelievable. You know? I do
0: put that. I'll put it on like red onions and put some like olive oil and lemon juice and then let it like marinate while making the rest of the salad. And I feel like that comes totally. out really good. Mm-hmm.
1: Totally. Yeah. I yeah, like that. And that's doing also that. the good vinegar. That's a good acid for the salad, is yeah. the pickled onions, you
0: know? It's so good. With the fresh oregano, I always saute chickpeas in olive oil and I put fresh oregano and za'atar. And then I'll, once it's done, I like let it cool off a little bit and i put some feta in it and i eat that mm. for dinner sometimes that's real good
2: mm. i love yeah. it yeah I love that's, it.
0: that is really really good um so somebody asked when you'll open a restaurant in dc i don't expect you to commit to this but <laughs> they wanted to know <laughs> mm.
1: i'm not sure i'm not sure <laughs> dc is a hour and a half train ride from philly
0: this is true. Get on the train, people. Yeah, this yeah. is easy. Yeah. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> this is easy. Um, I was taking we were living in DC actually when like we were still living in Philly, but we had we were temporarily down there because my husband Ryan was uh, working in Congress at the time and I was taking the train back to Philly like every three days. So you guys could yeah, come up for dinner. Yeah, yeah. So you guys are fine. Um, someone asked, Lauren asked, if you had to start over in your career, would you do anything differently?
1: kind of hard to say i mean i feel like i'm really pleased with the way that things work out i, I you know i'm not sure i'm not sure i almost went to europe and staged mm. for in a restaurant in san sebastian and
2: mm.
1: like i think that experience would have been really fun and cool but i don't believe that there's like one thing that would have made yeah. my my thing better and you know i i I've, you know i'm I don't have a ton of formal education whatsoever. My partner Steve um, has had a, a ton, and he's also truly brilliant. But um, and is like a really good teacher. So I feel like a lot of the sort of you know businessy stuff I've really enjoyed learning from him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I I'm interested and fascinated by organizational behavior and psychology. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would have like made I don't think that would have made me a better manager or anything like that, but I would love to, and I never graduated from college. So I would love to actually go back and just study that, but only, I don't know, just because I like it or addiction stuff. I think would be really interesting too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What was your favorite weeknight family meal growing up?
2: Mm.
1: Lamb chops on the grill with rice. And, uh, yeah, that was my favorite.
0: That sounds delicious. Is that what your mom would make?
1: Yeah. My mom and dad would do that. made this German shepherd named Izzy that would like go fucking nuts for the bones. You
0: know? (laughs) That's awesome. Did your dad cook too? Yeah. He's a great cook. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, a lot of people wanted to know what your favorite Philly, like hidden gem restaurant that you're willing to tell people about is.
1: Um, Favorite hidden gem Philly restaurant. I think it's called like Cafe Soho in uh, Cheltenham. Mm,
2: so okay, it's
1: the best the best Korean wings like maybe ever.
2: That's
0: it's awesome. Really, really
1: good. Um, I would say that that is excellent. Uh, what else hidden gem? I mean, I don't know. I eat kind of everywhere. Spicy in Chinatown is great. Mm. noodles so good. Um.
0: Do you have like a go-to place in Philly that you like? What's the place you go most often that you don't own?
1: Yeah. I don't really eat a lot in my restaurants, yeah. but I would say that I go to Phil 75 the mm-hmm. most. That's really good. Um, yeah. I think that is like delicious. Uh, and spicy I go to. And where else? I've eaten recently. I mean, Kalaya is incredible. I don't think that's a hidden gem, but that's mm. an incredible restaurant. Uh, Royal Izzakaya mm-hmm. is just so fucking good. So, so good. Um, where else? Where else? Why am I having such a hard time thinking about this? Mm, Canela is fucking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Do we go to see? Cafe Lamont? Uh, so no, I haven't, but I want to go there so much. I know Roland, he's amazing. I love his family. I heard it's fucking fantastic. So
0: stuff, good. Yeah, the yeah. green shakshuka Oh man, it's so good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know.
1: I'm sort of a hermit. I know it's just like I don't, on days that I'm not working, it's like I could sort of take or leave going out. I know that sounds whack, but it's no, like, no, I get it. I, yeah. I do, I do enjoy cooking in, at the house and uh i like uh you know i don't know it's like i don't i like i i'm obsessed with food obviously i like to eat i don't i, I could like also have a block of cheese and a loaf of bread from like lost bread mm-hmm. on my counter and i could just eat that throughout the day like that mm-hmm. would be that and like some grapes would be as good as it gets for yeah me. that sounds
0: awesome yeah yeah that's all. yeah it doesn't have to be fancy or complicated good foods good food <laughs> Totally. yeah totally. that's awesome well thank you so much mike for doing this i just so appreciate you taking the time
1: oh my god sam thank you so much and i hope that i answered all your questions you did. and uh continued success all right thank
0: you so much